when you actually do this breakdown, I've seen people get 40% on the dollar, not 40% right off. They're getting paid 40%. And that wasn't Medicaid. That was a PPO. And obviously I've seen PPOs pay worse than Medicaid too, which is kind of mind boggling. So have you been looking to drop PPO insurance or you're, you're just thinking about it? You're in the thought process of, hey, I'd like to drop some insurances that the fees just don't, I, I hate him. I don't understand this. It's, they're just rising up higher. And at the same time, my patients aren't getting what they want. I feel like it's controlling my whole schedule. If you feel like this, then maybe starting to drop PPOs is the key. And now I'm not saying drop all of them at once or anything like that, but I have a longtime guest in this episode, Dr. Ben Burkett. And if you notice, little by little, I'll put some of the links to some of his episodes in the past. He's talked about insurances and he's talked about how he's dropped little by little insurances throughout the past, I think, four years that he's been on. And now he's become a pretty awesome, amazing pro at this, like an expert. And so he just finished the book, The Dropping Dental PPO's Playbook, and it goes through all of this. And that's what we discuss in this episode. We kind of um, cover a topic that's getting past your irrational fears about dropping PPOs. And we put emotion to the side. And what he does is he just looks at the logic, the math behind everything. And when I mean the math behind everything is you're literally going to listen. And if you're if you're listening to this on the podcast, then you can also watch it on YouTube because he has a slideshow that he's like um, with a lot of slides that he's just kind of showing us with graphs and everything like that. So if you ever want, you can just press pause, go in the show notes below and then just click on our YouTube channel and then um, watch the video. Right. But it's getting past your irrational fears about dropping PPOs. It's amazing. And we kind of go over three types of fears, right? The first one is you need to keep near 100% of your patient to stay profitable. Uh, he kind of goes within the details on how that could be a myth, right? Fear number two, then fear number three. And here are some questions you need to ask yourself before dropping plans. I mean, he goes much more into it. But here's the key, right? You don't just want to drop them all at once. And he goes into the reasons why behind that. And then he teaches you how to do the math to make sure it makes sense for you to start dropping insurances uh, and then which one specifically to drop and so forth, right? So number one is how full is my schedule? Two, which plans are paying the lowest for each dollar of production? Three, what procedures can I add to replace lost production? Four, what additional marketing can I do to replace the lost production? Five, how can I increase case acceptance to increase acceptable treatment plan values? And six, how can I increase the average treatment plan value per patient? And he dives real deep into all of this with wonderful answers, but at the same time, he gives you the statistics and the numbers behind it. And what I love what he does, and it's kind of like towards the end of the episode, but you'll hear it. He actually did a whole breakdown of his fees where he's at in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, and he shows us exactly, okay, if I were to stick with this low PPO, this is how much I'm getting per profit per hour if I was a doctor, if I did a single filling. But if I did that and I was uh, all cash for a single filling, this is how much I'm actually making and so forth. And this is how much time you're buying. And he gives you the math, the numbers, the profits and everything behind it. And it's all in this episode, all in this episode. But obviously you can dive deeper into this topic if you get the book. Um, and the book is going to be in the show notes below if you want to check it out. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It's really, really in-depth on how to drop dental PPOs 
and it kind of tells you the standardized for the dental office, the bottlenecks, how to schedule, the times tables, the treatment plan creations, dropping larger plans, the internalized message, your mindset. It goes all, all within that. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes below if you want to check it out. But without further delay, here's how you can start dropping dental PPOs today. Here's Dr. Ben Burkett. This is the Dental Marketer Podcast, where we teach you how to effectively market your dental practice. My name is Michael Arias, and my mission is to help you, the practice owner, to grow your practice, attract new patients immediately, and be seen as the go-to dental office in your community. What if the next IT hiccup could cost you more than just time? but a patient's trust in your dental practice. When technology falters in a dental office, it can throw off more than just the day's appointments. It can disrupt patient care and impact the very heartbeat. But with Dark Horse Tech's dedicated IT support, those worries can become a thing of the past. They are like having a tech wizard on your team, ready to resolve issues before they become disruptions. They understand that in the dental world, time is not a commodity. It's the currency. And when their IT support is integrated into your practice, they ensure that currency is spent on patient smiles, not on tech troubles. With Dark Horse Tech, you get real-time responses and preventative strategies that keep your operations running like clockwork. Consider the peace of mind that comes with knowing your systems are being monitored by experts who speak the nuanced language of dental technology. Dark Horse Tech's vigilant eyes are constantly scanning to ensure your software is up to date, your patient data is secure, and your network is as robust as your practice's reputation. They're not just about quick fixes. Dark Horse Tech is about providing enduring solutions that mesh with the intricacies of dental care. They preempt potential issues, ensuring that your practice's technology is a silent partner that supports rather than interrupts your work. And now they're offering a limited time deal that's sure to make you smile. Sign up with Dark Horse Tech today and they'll give you the first month of IT support for free. It's their way of demonstrating confidence in their service and their commitment to the dental professions. So why let IT issues take a bite out of your practice's productivity? Make the switch to Dark Horse Tech and discover a world where your practice's technology is seamlessly integrated and always patient ready. Claim their offer and give your practice the gift of uninterrupted services. Go in the show notes below, click the first link in the show notes below to check out the exclusive deal. With Dark Horse Tech, every minute saved from IT troubles is a minute gained for patient care. You've been on one, two, three, four, five episodes of the Dental Marketer uh, show. But at the same time, I want to say out of those five, four, you mainly spoke about insurance. One, you spoke about hybrid scheduling, but you mainly yeah. spoke about insurance. So, Dr. Ben Burkett. Ben, what's up? Hey, it's been a while. It's been, missed being on the show. But yeah, I've been a little busy. I, I kind of worked on this little project. I actually wrote a book. Because so many people are kind of asking, you know, if I jumped in a Facebook group and talked about insurance, I just talked about the same thing over and over again with people. And some of them wanted a much deeper dive. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to organize all my charts and graphs and everything I've kind of talked about, like 
throughout the podcast with you, other podcasts and just posts on your Facebook page and others and just make it a nice, concise, easy to digest book. So that way, if people are looking to drop out of insurance plans, they can use the same methods I've been utilizing. Um, I opened up my startup about four and a half years ago. And I guess about three years ago, I was much more active of starting to drop out of insurance plans. After COVID, inflation went up like crazy, but insurance was paying me what I was getting before. So mm-hmm. my profit margins were shrinking. We discussed earlier, I'm, you know, my family's growing. And so I had more mouths to feed. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had enough money, revenue to come in to support my family, but then also cover these higher overheads. And when I was looking for expenses to cut, you try and do what you can, find cheaper supplies, cheaper labs that are still good. But then when I really got in the numbers, my biggest line item was like an insurance adjustment. And so my book just goes through all the math I went through for myself, all my calculations and processes to determine when it's safe to drop a plan, how much risk you have, what your break-even point is. So that way other docs can drop out of these plans too. Because after talking to some people, I feel like there's just way too many docs are in network with way too many plans. And they're just it's just unnecessary. You're mm-hmm. just giving away money that you really don't need to. And I think a lot of that's just because of fear and lack of understanding of how much these plans are truly costing you. Yeah, no, definitely. A hundred percent. And I know like throughout the times, and if you can hold up the book again, because no, I know we, we talked about it in a couple episodes and stuff like that, but it's the Dropping Dental PPO's Playbook. Yes. And so this is everything you've done. It's tried, true, tested, right? Like you've done this all and put it into a step-by-step process. Yeah, it's my exact method. Um, if you guys are watching the video, you see a line across it. This is an old author's copy. So that's why it has a line across it. If you buy the book off Amazon, it looks nice and pretty and white. But yeah, it's it's literally what I did as an owner. I've been in the preps. I've been in the trenches. You know, I made some mistakes along the way. And so, I, you know, I just want to outline exactly what I did to make every decision I made. You know, there's sometimes, you know, I ran into mistakes. And so I give you guys better information than when I was working with because I was still trying to figure it out. And, and I know it's in like the kind of fee-for-service community and people trying to go ahead and network. There's a lot of talk about talking to the patient, how to answer that phone call. Hey, you're at a network. What do I say? And there's different phrasing and stuff with that. I don't focus so much on that. I go over a lot more heavily with the math, targeting bottlenecks in your systems because you are going to see a certain amount of patient attrition when you drop out of a plan. How is that going to affect your practices? What I like to go over And so you can, you know, mitigate any risks, plan ahead with that. Does it make more sense to invest more in marketing or adding an extra procedure before you drop out of a plan? Let's say you're referring out $5,000 worth of surgical extractions in a month. Well, if I can get better at that and keep that in office, then I can drop a plan that represents $5,000 worth of production. And I, I kind of eliminated the risk. So it's not just strictly looking at fee schedules. It's a much more holistic look of how booked out you are, how are you operating in your office? Where are you getting your patients from? Like you with your ground marketing, one thing I like to really do is have pipelines. And so mm-hmm. if that's referral sources, I see a lot of kids, I do sedations in the office on kids. And so I get referrals. So every time I build that relationship, let's say each doctor that I spoke to sends me one kid a month. Well, if I talk to 30 surrounding doctors, that's 30 kids a month. Or you know, other pipelines for, let's say you go to an assisted living facility or other businesses that might be able to feed you. So it's not just about doing big live events, but having that pipeline or daycare. I get a lot from daycares and stuff like that too, Mm because the daycare knows about me. And then, you know, if little Susie's complaining about toothache, they're like, oh yeah, we care dental care down the street. These other kids went there and they're happy. So you should check them out. 
And just having those relationships acts as a replacement for your insurance participation. So utilizing those strategies does help. So we're not so dependent on being in network with these plans because I do view each insurance company as just a marketing channel. So yeah. you're firing Delta Devil. So I'm going to pick up these other things to replace that if that's what you choose to do. Gotcha. But yeah, so that, that's some of the concepts in the book, you know, that I utilized. Yeah. So then let's do that because I know we've kind of always touched on specific topics on how to do this, but let's like dive in if we can. And I know you brought, we can share screen, right? So if, if you're listening, go on the show notes below, you can check out our YouTube channel and you can watch this. But at the same time, I know Ben's going to kind of walk you us through it. So if you're just listening and driving or anything like that, so perfectly fine. But we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into this topic because it's super important. And I think it's a, a good, uh, I mean, have you been, what have you been seeing, Ben, lately when it comes to the people, who, practice owners you talk with and everything like that and dropping insurances or just insurance in general and their feelings toward it? So, I mean, there's a range. So there's people who are heavily networked with a lot of plans. I'll talk to some people who have been, they're booked out like crazy. But, you know, the reimbursement's terrible because they're a network with everything under the sun and a lot of terrible plans. And I remember I was talking to um, a husband-wife team in North Carolina. Wife was the doctor, husband was the office manager. And it was really bothering him because they were making some decent money, but his wife was just working like crazy. And then him as the office manager, he's like, he doesn't want to see, they have two kids at home. She's not spending time with the kids like they want to. And they're booked out like crazy, but you know, they want to make sure their family's supported. So you don't want to just drop everything and risk your livelihood just to maybe make a little extra money. So I was asking him and, you know, he was booked up for three, four months. I was like, okay, so, and he wasn't doing any marketing. And so I was asking, well, what are you doing if an emergent cash emergency patient calls who wants to pay full fee has a toothache? And they're like, oh, we put them on a wait list and maybe we see them in 90 days. Okay, so they're going to go someplace else. So you rather see your current patient who's paying you maybe 40 cents on the dollar of your full fee and turning away these other ones. He's like, and you could kind of hear him. He paused for a second. We were talking on the phone and he, he, I don't think he connected the dots with that. So I see some docs that are just heavily in with that. And a lot of those mm. docs honestly can drop out of some plans really safe, even before they have to start paying for some marketing because they're, they're just, they're so overbooked. Another thing I've seen is staffing shortages. So these offices that after COVID, maybe some people left, they retired and they can't hire, they might have enough operatories, but they don't have enough staff or their staff they're finding are less experienced. And so they're not as quick, they're not as skilled. So it's harder for them to see that same volume they might have before COVID because they're just getting a different type of support staff than we used to be able to get. And you're probably paying them more too. So even if you have multiple chairs, but you have a capacity issue doing, due to staffing, shifting out of some of these plans. And so you're kind of deliberately causing patient attrition, but getting paid a higher margin for those procedures. You could be at your current level of busyness, but being able to take in more pay. So that way you can use that for CE to expand things, maybe reinvest in some marketing or have additional budget for payroll. So you could, if salaries are higher in your area, it does make it easier for you to hire more people. But yeah, that's some of the common issues that I see. Obviously, everyone's situation is different. So you gotta you have to look at everyone's numbers and schedule and participation to see what makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. But when it comes to this, like right here, it says getting past your irrational fears about dropping PPOs. Mm -hmm. I understand that there's three fears, right? That you've kind yeah. of pinpointed. Okay. So then when we go to what would be the first one? So first is that you need to keep 100% of your patients to say profitable. I hear a lot of people, they want that amazing letter or verbiage that you send out to patients and they'll never leave you because it's sprinkled with pixie dust. 
and all your patients that you are potentially might lose to your competitors down the street are going to stick with you. And I can just say from personal experience, you're going to lose some of your patients, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Even that one that bakes you cookies and got you a Christmas card. So I have patients that are personal friends. Yeah. And they they came to my house for a gingerbread party. So we're recording this after Christmas and they they we have a gingerbread party. We decorate gingerbread houses at the house. It's a tradition my wife does. And, and she came to that nice cordial conversation. But because we went out of network with insurance, she ended up switching insurance. We're still friends. We're still cordial. But like, you're going to lose some people. Wait, she and, ended up switching like practice owner or insurance? What do, what do you mean? Oh, so I, I dropped her insurance. Uh -huh. She um, she had United Healthcare, And so as me as an out of network, network provider. She chose oh, to, to switch another dentist, actually ended up being closer to her house. So it was just convenient for her too. But, um, you know, so they, it, will. There, they will yeah. drop. People will drop. Yeah. And th there was no ill will, at least with that person. But it's, it's just going to happen. People, I made it as a business decision and she made it effectively as a business decision in her own mm -hmm. home, what she should pay for and all that. But one, you're not going to lose all of them. And I'll talk about some strategies here to help replace that production and looking at how booked out your schedule is. So that way, even if you are going to lose some patients, you're not putting you at a risk of decreased revenue. You might actually see a lighter schedule, but your collections, if you plan properly, should stay the same. Yeah. So you don't actually need to keep 100% of your patients to keep the same revenue numbers or collection numbers as you go ahead and network. So I'm going to go over some math and some stuff and some bottlenecks to help go over that. So we discussed this a while ago, last time I was on the show, but I'm a huge fan of something called the theory of constraints. It's based on bottlenecks. It's a business concept. I think it was introduced in the late 80s. There's a great book called The Goal, um, if you want to read it, related to lean manufacturing, or also if you look up the, the Toyota method, um, mm -hmm. everything's kind of interconnected. But basically what happens is your business is treated as a series of dependent events. So the output of one segment is the input for the next. And because everything feeds into each thing down the pipeline, the tightest bottleneck or constraint is going to control the final output of the entire system. And so like for a dental office, I break it up into two segments. We got our two tracks. We have our treatment plan creation phase and our treatment plan absorption. So treatment plan creation is all your sales and marketing, essentially. And treatment plan absorption is a lot more of your scheduling and converting those accumulated treatment plans into actual production and revenue. So like for treatment plan creation, we have our gross spend. So anything you're spending on marketing to try and attract leads to your office, you have leads. So that's interested people in your office that haven't made a commitment yet. So maybe mm -hmm. they give you a call, but they haven't scheduled yet your actual appointments. And then those appointments will turn to consults and exams, uh, comp exams, and they'll turn into your treatment plan value. So as mm -hmm. you can see, everything's feeding into the next along this line. So like, let's say you spend more on growth, more on Google ads, or you do more uh, ground marketing and stuff that will potentially feed into your leads and feed down the chain. I personally treat an insurance adjustment just at, like a marketing expense. So if I write off $200 or if I spend $200 on a Google ad, that's still $200 less money I have in my pocket. And so when I look at if I'm going to drop a plan I and I look at my total marketing spend, I do look at those insurance adjustments just like I'm spending on marketing. So if I look to drop out of a plan, I might ask myself, well, do I want to up my Google AdWords spend or my Facebook ads or do more live events to compensate? Because, you know, it ends up being a dollar for dollar trade. And, you know, if you spend an extra, let's say you drop a plan, so your insurance adjustments go down five grand a month. Well, if you have to spend an extra $2,500 to replace that, well, if I'm going to spend 25 to save five grand, that's a good trade-off. I'll do that each month. I'll net an extra 2500 in my pocket. When, um, when it comes to this, like, what mm -hmm. did you personally do? Like, when it came to like, okay, I'm going to start doing this for growth spend. So 
I I get a lot of my SEO for websites really good. I did some of my own blog posts, the marketing company I use. I think it's performed pretty well for me. And I particularly like Google because it's what I like to call intent-based marketing versus interruption. So intent is patients actively searching dentists near me, toothache. They, they have some interest in what you're, you're offering. And so I feel like there's much more likely for them to take action versus, let's say, a Facebook ad where someone's scrolling through their family photos, their friend's vacation, and then a dental ad pops up. They're not in the mindset of going to the dentist. So I do mm-hmm. lean towards more Google-based things. Because it's intent, you said, right? Like my intent, intent yeah. is to find a dentist. And then interruption was like, you interrupted what I was doing. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So their mindset's on something else. The nice thing about interruption-based marketing, though, is that you can target audiences or income levels. So like Facebook is really good for that because they have so much data. But intent, they're actively looking for something like that. So because I was dropping plans, it did lighten up my schedule a little bit, which means I could accommodate emergency patients better. So I got some additional training in um, surgical extractions. So, you know, I wasn't referring out these cases. So if someone called called me, I could get them in relatively quickly, take care of that extraction, strutted to also focus on people who had a cracked or broken tooth because those ended up turning into crowns. If I had an opening in my schedule within a few days, someone cracked off their buckle cusp of their premolar and they needed a crown. I could get them in quickly because they're, you know, they have urgency. They want to get it done. Where if someone else is booked up because they're in network with 400 PPOs and they make them wait four months and like this person, like they want their cusp back. So they're, they're, they're going to call me. So that's worked particularly well for me. I also like things that are easy to track. So that's another reason I like Google AdWords is we can see conversion rates for different campaigns. If I'm targeting adults or kids, emergency based things. Or specific things, you know, like I said, if they type in broken tooth, I see that's getting a better ROI because it's not just about patient phone calls. It's like how much treatment does it turn into? And so I can look at the conversion of the call, but then look in like, did this person accept treatment? Did this person show up, first of all? And then did this person accept treatment? And how much was that? And so you could see like if I'm spending $30 to get a cracked tooth and a crown that Mm -hmm. I'm making, let's say, PPO fee, let's say $800 on $30 for $800 of revenue is not too bad. But if I'm spending a bunch of money on some no-shows, like offering free consults, I've tried that before and that did not work well for me at all. We Mm. just have all these appointments that no one would show up for if you try and offer free x-rays and stuff. But after we started charging for our x-rays and not offering free consults, like for a cash patient, if they were committed to coming in and they knew they had to pay something, they would would come in. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, those are the things that work best for me. Okay. Interesting. So these are the, for the treatment plan creation. Now, when it comes to absorption, what's that look like? So, yeah. So if you're looking at the chart here, the TP stands for treatment plan. And so we have what I call your treatment plan bank. So that's your accumulation of treatment plans from your um, existing and new patients. And that's going to be feed into your schedule. And then obviously, if you complete that treatment, that crown, that filling, that extraction, that's going to feed into your production. That's going to feed into your collections. And then that's going to feed into your pocket. And underneath all of this is your overhead. So you don't want to, let's say, drop a plan, have a bunch of empty chair time because you still have a hard cost of paying your staff, paying to your rent, paying a loan for your build out or whatever if you're if you're a startup. So you, you want to keep your, your schedule at least relatively full, but you want to also lean towards like making sure you're you're getting the most amount of revenue for that amount of chair chair time hour as possible. So this, you know, really focuses on trying to maintain a relatively full schedule, but then finding those opportunity areas for replacing, you know, if you are looking to drop a plan, making sure that we have a backlog of patients to come into that, or we're upping our marketing or expanding our procedure space that we're offering. So that way we can maintain our production levels without 
dropping stuff and just risking your practice. Okay. Okay. So that's when it comes to mm-hmm. the whole, that would say those are the two things you want to track, right? Your treatment plan creation and treatment plan absorption. Those are kind of the big over top and things. So, but in the book, I got into a, a little more detail. So if you break this down, there's a few key spots I like to look at. First is your mar- your growth spend, which is your marketing spend plus your insurance adjustments. And then also any discounts you offer as well, because I treat that as all a marketing or sales cost. And so that's your input into the system. And then we want to look at our how much we look at a ratio between how much that is we're putting in versus how much new treatment plan that is being converted into. So that turns into like a ratio. Let's say for every $1,000 of growth spend you're spending, if that's turning into $900 worth of treatment, you've got a problem. You're spending mm. more than you're creating. But if that $1,000 is turning into $5,000 worth of new treatment, well, then we can kind of keep upping the amount we're investing in our marketing because we're getting a positive ROI. So I like to look at that ratio. And then another ratio I like to look at is that treatment plan accumulation versus how much production I want to get in my schedule. And so that shows you basically how far out you're booked out. Let's say you're producing uh, $100,000 a month and you have $300,000 in just treatment plan accumulation that people can't come in for. You're you have three months worth of excess treatment plan that you can't accommodate for at this time. So to me, that it says I need to increase my capacity, open more days, hire another associate, increase my capacity to see patients. Or I can think, well, I could just drop out of an insurance plan because I'm over accumulating on these treatment plans and that will I'll still be busy enough and productive. I just won't have such a backlog of, of treatment plans. And the mm-hmm. last thing I like to look at is the space between production and collections, which is accounts receivable. Because if you're doing all this work and not collecting the money, you're going to be in trouble. And yeah. so, yeah, it's got yeah, gross brand, your conversion rate on that marketing, treatment plan, bank accumulation, and then accounts receivable are like the four really key things I think you want to hone in on. So that way, and the more you fine tune those, obviously, those better those ratios are going to be and the more profitable you'll be. Tune in on those, like hone in on those, like you said, right? Yeah. And then... That way we can start determining like, okay, it's looking good to drop this insurance, right? It's looking good. We can do this because without it, it's just kind of like blindly, right? Yeah. You're just kind of hoping and praying, which you might look out. But yeah, I'd say one of the first things to look for is your schedule's getting fairly booked out before you even start analyzing if you're ready to drop a plan or not. That's the first thing I would look at if you had to start anywhere. Okay. So this is the analysis, a version of the analysis I do for myself. This is like a generic one. And so what I like to do, if you're looking at this, the chart in the upper left is my 20 code collection score. So to have, I feel like the most fair look at how much each insurance plan is paying you. I don't want to just like look at the crown fee or how much you're paying for bite wings and pano, because let's say you have a hygiene heavy office, then you're going to carry more about how much hygiene and x-rays are charging. But if you're, let's say you do a lot of extractions and dentures, then, you know, you're going to care more about those reimbursement rates. So I take the, my top 20 most productive codes and you can get that easily from your software. And I look at the number of units I produce of those, each of those codes throughout a year that goes into a spreadsheet. And then I can compare that against all my fee schedules for what I'm in network with. And what that will tell me is how many pennies on the dollar I'm getting paid for each dollar of production. If I'm on average, let's say, writing off 30% from a particular insurance, then I know I'm collecting 70 cents on the dollar or 0.7 the way I have it written here. So in this example, the lowest PPO here is getting 55 cents on the dollar, which some people might be like, oh my God, that's incredibly low. Like when you actually do this breakdown, I've seen people get 40% on the dollar, not 40% write off. They're getting paid 40%. And that wasn't Medicaid. That was a PPO. And obviously I've seen PPOs pay worse than Medicaid too, which is kind of mind boggling. 
And so, you know, usually I see people more around 30%, but, you know, you'd be surprised some of these really junky plans are paying you terribly. What would you but, say yeah, are like, from your experience, those plans that are like the junky plans? So for me personally, I'm in Roanoke, Virginia. If they have Delta Dental and it's a private plan, so not through their employer, those are Pretty more good, moderate. Yeah. But the private plans, the reimbursement for those are horrendous. And like we warn patients and like they wouldn't even pay for prevent. Like they have all these loopholes and the fee schedules are terrible. And there's there's all these weird rules for those. So I'd be careful with those. The better plans tend to be through unions. So the self-funded plans. So I think UPS has a decent one, at least locally. And some of the, we have local manufacturing facilities. If I see certain unions, like from Teamsters, then they're actually probably paying maybe at the 80, 90% level. But I actually, when I went to drop some plans, I believe this is in the book. I don't remember if I gave this exact example, but I was in with Connection Dental and that at the time they were my worst plan. And I was about ready to drop on my, that's an umbrella, by the way, if people don't know about them. And I, you know, was progressively dropping out of small plans underneath Connection Dental and I was going to drop out of them completely. And then at that point, they called me up and said, like, hey, we want to keep you a network. You have good reviews in our internal system. And all of a sudden, through some back and forth negotiations, they, my fee schedule went up 86%. Oh, wow. So they, they went from my lowest to now my highest. They had that fee schedule the whole time. They could have given me that fee schedule the whole time. But like I had my front desk girl, Amy, like called to try and negotiate before it went to dropping plans. And they literally laughed at her like, we don't do that. But then as soon as you go to drop a plan, all of a sudden things get a lot more agreeable. And one reason I could be real aggressive is I had all these spreadsheets and the calculations because they gave me a fee schedule first initially, which I think was like an eight, 10% improvement. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this doesn't make sense for me to stay in network. Like you're still like one of my lowest if I keep you. And then I was like, give me your best and final. Like, and so, yeah, I was able to put it in and it became high enough that it, I ended up staying in with Connection Dental and dropping out of a different plan that was lower then. So there is some, you know, Hmm. it's not strictly about dropping. Some of it's just optimization. And there's like some, a weird thing, which this doesn't seem to me to be in the insurance company's best interest, but they operate this way. Or if you're in network directly, you get paid a worse fee schedule compared to if you use a third party, like I think Unitas is one, Carrington, Connection Dental. And it's not guaranteed. It depends on your region and other factors. But if you get underneath one of those umbrella plans, you get a fee schedule under them and you drop out of the insurance plan directly that you actually get a much better fee schedule certain times. I mean, wow. you all, you, yeah, yeah. I've had that personally happen multiple times. I, it really blew me away. As I even told the insurance company, it's like, well, why don't you just offer me this higher fee? Because I'm sure for you to be under this umbrella, it costs you something. I don't know how it's all structured, but like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some sort of internal cost to the insurance company. But I mean, so that's how they want to do it. Okay. Interesting. But, yeah. So, so yeah, this is this is the collection score and the insurance production impact yeah. percent and the impact score. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, and the production is literally the production values. And then the impact score shows me like a weighted average of how much revenue each of these plans are paying me. So like if you look at PPO number one here, it's 18% of production, but it's paying me 55 cents on the dollar. And so it ends up being about 12.5% of revenue. And you'll Mm -hmm. see some of the other ones are roughly the same 12% of revenue, even though they're a smaller percentage of production. So if you're getting more production, but less revenue per dollar, obviously you're collecting less money. Like, so if you did a lot of Medicaid patients, you know, you're not going to make as much versus like you had half as many full fee patients. So yeah, I do this analysis. I do this for myself. And then there's some information in the book if you want me to help you out for that. But the book does include a lot of how you can do this on your own if you want to be a DIY doc and do this yourself. But yeah, I I like to have a comprehensive view because to me, this looks like almost like a stock portfolio or something like Mm -hmm. that, where I can Mm kind of see like, 
oh, this one's performing at 6% and this one's performing eight. Let's put more money in that 8% versus that 6% mutual fund or bond market, whatever you're looking at. So Mm -hmm. you can really just have a very honest, non-emotional look at where your revenue is coming from. So if you make a decision to drop out of a plan, you can just do that. And so in this example, I'm going to show if we dropped out of this PPO one, that's 18% of production getting paid 55 cents on the dollar. Like, what does that happen to all of our numbers here? So this is a a break-even analysis. So the orange lines here are, it's 79, I think. I didn't put the label on here because it made it cluttered, but it's a 79. And that's basically the weighted average for this office, how much they're collecting for all their patients. So all the different insurances, their cash and stuff like that, they're getting 79 cents on the dollar. And then this number down here is the percent of retention of these different plans. So for this office, if they keep at least 60%, so losing 40%, that collection score will go from a 79 to an 80. So they're making more money. Um, that means maybe they have some more holes in the schedule, but you're actually, your revenue number will go up. But ideally what you want to do is not be in a situation where you're worried about losing revenue, but making sure that your schedule is full enough that if you do start re- dropping a plan, you're re- replacing it with the other patients that you have. They're re- reimbursing at a higher level. So not just cash patients, but also the ones that are just reimbursing at a better level. And so that's what this example is on the right. So this is uh, retention with replacement. So even if you lost 100% of patients with that plan, but you're able to keep or replace them with other patients from other insurance plans and then your cash patients, this person would go from a 79 to an 84. And on our slide, I'll go over what those numbers mean to your revenue and everything like that. But you're basically going from making 79 cents on the dollar to making 84 cents on the dollar which might not sound like a lot, but remember like this isn't costing you anymore to see these patients to get paid more. So that's all just margin. For me to see a cash patient or PPO patient to do a crown, my lab fee's the same. My impression material's the same. My labor costs to my employees are the same. And so by adding just a few percentage to your top line margin without affecting your overhead, you'll find that you can actually keep quite a bit more money. And then with inflation and everything going up, I mean, I just feel like you have to do something. Because with some of these insurance plans, they just don't become profitable anymore if all your expenses go up. So to kind of yeah make this a little more real, so this this office started at a set 0.79, so collecting 79 cents on the dollar. They went up to collecting 84 and a half cents on the dollar. And we assume they're producing a million dollars a year, which ends up being a little over 83,000 a month. So nothing crazy. Their collections would be originally at $66,000 a month. And just by making this change, they're bumped up to 70,416. So just by dropping this plan and replacing these patients with the remaining patient base, they've increased over $4,400 per month, which is almost $53,000 a year, just by kind of optimizing their insurance participation. I mean, nothing too dramatic, but, you know, with what they're doing to their practice. But I mean, would you want an extra 53 grand a year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small margins, right? Like little small things that you do every day. Yeah. Contribute to the bigger, bigger things. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I like that. But yeah, so I just wanted to show with that, like you really don't have to keep a large margin. You'd be surprised how many of your patients you can lose and still do well. And then with some really, if you're smart and planning it properly, your risk of losing money when dropping a plan can go down to, you know, I can't guarantee zero, but it can get pretty small if you plan ahead and understand all your bottlenecks. Okay. Um, and again, this is just with dropping one plan. This isn't with an office trying to go fee for service or anything like that, anything too crazy. It's literally just dropping out of one plan. And I know we discussed this, that we would have this fear right there where it says all my patients will leave and I will lose money. Do you feel like that happens too much? Like, did you have this fear? Yeah. 
And so what happened with me is because I had my startup and why I really kind of pushed to drop out of insurance plans is I was working out of the few shares I had. I could take out a loan and invest more money to equip another operatory. But, you know, a few years ago, you know, I was like, I don't want to put that money up. I don't want to have any more debt. And so what happens if I just drop out of some of these plans? And so that that was my philosophy. This was literally a cheaper way for me to increase my revenue compared to taking extra CE and investing in more equipment and, you know, increasing my capacity. Because if I buy another chair, then I have to hire another hygienist. And that's not the easiest thing right now. You know, if I take a loan, then my overhead goes up. But me just cutting out a lot of these plans, it was a cheaper way to resolve this issue. But yeah, I mean, you will lose some patients and some of them will boomerang back. So you might lose them for a year. They go someplace else. They don't like it so much. They'll come back to you. If you're taking something like Medicaid, yeah, you probably got to lose 100% of those patients because they're going from 100% coverage to zero. But a lot of these plans, your retention, particularly for plans that are smaller and there's not very many options for patients, I think you'll have, you'll see pretty high retention with that. But, you know, something, let's say you're Delta Dental, where you know your patients are going to have other options and they send the check directly to the patient instead of sending it to the office, which is annoying. That is going to probably see a little bit higher attrition rate. But again, if you're playing with it appropriately and you learn how to talk to your patients, because there's some key questions that, you know, you get patients want to know, can I still use my insurance? There's a chunk of them are fine with going out of network. They just want to still use their benefits. And that's true. The vast majority of the time, there's some special insurance plans. There's EPO plans and uh, PPO only and some federal plans that they could still use, but their reimbursement goes down like crazy if they mm-hmm. see an out-of-network provider. So other than those few exceptions, I'd say 98% of your patients will still be able to use their insurance with a like employer, traditional PPO type thing. And like, yeah, you will have some leave, but I would be careful about listening too much to a vocal minority where mm. the patient who says, oh, hey, I really liked you, but you know, you're out of network, so I can't go see you anymore. Like, well, yes, you can still see me. I'm, we're not, we don't have to break up, but, you know, you're choosing to do this, which is fine. You know, we're all adults here, but there you'll have a vocal minority, but then you'll have a bunch of patients who don't say anything and they just show up at their next recall. If you're listening to those ones who have those phone calls or your front desk says, oh, hey, Miss Jones said she can't, she won't come here anymore or she canceled her crown because we're at a network now. Like those are going to, I think, sit in the front of your mind and kind of you're going to overweigh their value which is why I like to be so mathematical with everything. Wipe out the emotion from it. Just make it about the numbers. And so you're not kind of overweighting something that you're hearing about directly and really seeing how much it's affecting your schedule and it's affecting collections versus anything else like that. And I think like on putting the next- logic, you're putting logic in front of it. It's kind of like this, like, like the reviews, right? Like when we get a one negative review, we tend to focus on that. We can have a hundred positive ones. Yeah. But that one negative one we just got today, we're like, oh my gosh, what am yeah. I doing wrong? And then, so yeah. So what, yeah. right here, what's happening here? So this is a real review <laughs> from my office. It's from a little while ago. It's actually from four days ago. This is real patient interview. If you look me up on Google My Business page for We Care Dental Care, you scroll down, you'll find this. And we have other somewhat similar reviews, but they said, so grateful I was able to get in today, not months, not weeks or days later. I'll talk about why that's important in a second. But within hours of calling, others would not. Everyone treated me like royalty, even at an network, they've earned my loyalty, exclamation point. Mm-hmm. So this was a patient who Googled us. They had an urgent problem and we were able to see them quickly because we didn't pack our schedule out in 90 days where we were telling people to call back or go on a wait list. They were in pain and we were able to resolve their issue quickly. And they're incredibly grateful. They've been coming to us ever since. And so there's almost like if you're, oh, if you're booked out so far, it's almost a detriment in a way, because, you know, if you have 
a patient, your current patient or new new patient who wants something urgently, you can't accommodate. And there's, you don't really feel that, but there's like a cost associated with that of not having that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Where if you don't have that capacity issue because you dropped out of some of these crappier PPOs and you have a few spots here or there where you can accommodate, you can get patients like this paying full fee and they're raving about you why they do it. So I, I think there there is those patients you will lose. But honestly, the patients that you lose, you might be happy to lose them because there might be the ones who are the most difficult. They complained about the fees or co-pays because they were just, they didn't value what you did. If they your patient strictly sees you as a commodity, they're always going to go for the lowest price. We've seen this happen with the pharmacies where, you know, CVS and all these other people buy them out because if I get penicillin from CVS, my local pharmacy, it's penicillin. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's from a local small business. But, you know, if my dental care, that's dependent on the hands of the doctor and the staff and how they treat me. It's, you know, it's an experience. You're not just buying a little bit of amalgam or composite or some ceramic. Like you're, you're paying for how good are my margins? Did I feel valued when I came in? Did they actually listen to my problem or they just shuffled me off? And so those experience-based things, like you see, I mean, I know you hear stories in these corporate offices that they have these 30-minute appointments, they're pushing them in and out, and they can't offer that level of care. Where if you offer a little bit extra and you're not seen as a commodity, you know, you can attract these patients and maintain these patients because you're honestly offering them more. So you should be charging them more because you you are offering something at a higher level compared to what some other offices are. Mm, okay, interesting. So that's this type of thing right here. Like when it comes to obviously your schedule's open, you're able to see more patients, you're able mm-hmm. to provide even better care, right? Because you're not rushing yeah. or anything like that. Correct. And so we are going to, you are going to see more and more of this. And that's with fear number two, right? That's like, okay, I don't, I don't know if all my patients will leave me. Maybe they will. I'm, I'm listening to that one patient that says like, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you, right? And that's where it comes to that fear. But here you're letting us know that. Chill out. Yeah. If you're treating gonna, your patients yeah. well, you're going to have some attrition. I can guarantee that. But you're, you're not going to have a massive amount of attrition. And at the end, we'll have a slide and I'll kind of talk about ways to mitigate that attrition or loss of patients. And I, you really have to be careful. And this affected me too. I mean, it's funny you brought up the whole review thing in that one-star review. I used to go home and I'd say, oh, we got a review today. And my wife would pause. I'm like, is it good or bad? I don't want you grouchy all night. Because it, it really did. It I felt so bad. Yeah. And then I, I wanted to respond to it, but you don't want to like, HIPAA, you have to be careful. Like, yeah. HIPAA and how much information can I give? without breaking any rules and you don't want to sound, you know, I don't Mm want to respond Mm -hmm. angry and then I come off in a bad way. So you have to be extremely tactical. When I get a bad review, I don't say anything for at least 24 hours. I at least sleep on it and I'll draft something. I'll show it to my employees. They easily know about the situation. There was a billing problem or whatever happened for the review. If they feel it covered all our bases and honestly, they'll be like, no, you should lean into this more. You should chew them out more. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not good for the business. But yeah, yeah. if you get bad for you, just sleep on it, write something in Word, make sure your grammar and spelling's good. Otherwise, they'll chew you up for that. Keep a clear head while you're responding and just move on and try and get new good reviews after that. Interesting. Um, Okay. So then when we go to fear number three, this is the other fear. I don't want to go fee for service, so I should not even look at my PPO participation. Yeah. Is that true? No. So I I think there's there's a chunk of people that if... Like I said earlier, the office that was booked up like crazy, they you know want to stay really full schedule and they had no visions of ever going fee for service or completely out of network. It wasn't in their business plan or anything else like that. So they're like, well, I might as well stay in network with everything. 
you know, if you're a network with one PPO, you know, if all your patients are PPO, it doesn't matter which plan they're for. But like I showed you earlier, a lot of these plans might pay a lot more, a lot less for doing the exact same procedure. And unless you do an analysis, it kind of, I mean, it blew me away with how much difference you would see between different fee schedules. One thing, you know, I hear, you know, all these people take Delta Dental and they'd say, oh, I want to go Premier, but they won't let me. Luckily, I'm in Virginia, so I was able to go Premier. That's kind of a weird state by state thing yeah. um, if you can or can't do that. But the increase I put in the fee schedules, it was a 16% increase on my top 20 codes, which is certainly nice. But people talk about it like they'll double your reimbursement. Like, no, it's 16%. And so it's not earth shattering to your practice. It's not going to save a struggling practice to have a 16% increase on fee schedule. I'll take whatever increase I can get, but it's, it's not going to be that. And so to kind of highlight this, this is in the book, but I did an analysis based on what's called throughput accounting. So there's a mm -hmm. calculation to find out how much each chair time hour costs. And this example ends up being, I think, $65 for each like vacant chair time hour. And then I took in how much time I'm using for different procedures and subtracted out the material costs. So for a filling, I included for the lidocaine and any of the instruments and the composite I used. And for Crown and Bridge, obviously like a lab fee and impression material. And so I, I did this breakdown. And again, all the math and everything's in the book if you want that. But what you'll see here, and these are based on real schedules for my zip code in Roanoke, Virginia, because I had access to them. And this is my net profit for different procedures per chair time hour. Wow. And so the red is the lowest PPO I had available to me. So not Medicaid, actual PPO. The blue is a middle range one. I'll say it's the most, it was the dental insurance plan most of my patients had. You can probably guess which company that is. The light green was the highest PPO I had offered to me. And then the blue is based on my cash fee at the time when I did this calculation. And so you can see with a lot, of, and there's a you know list of different procedures and I just ordered them by my net profit per hour. You know, I could do a filling on a low PPO and make $59.00. Or I can do single filling for a cash patient and my profit's $268. Because mm. like I said at the beginning, that little increase that's all going to margin is huge because it costs me the same time and materials to do that filling on a low PPO as it does for me to do on the cash patient. And the difference is that insurance adjustment. One, I'm getting my full fee and the other one I'm writing off a lot. And so you'd be really surprised even if you see a few holes in the schedule or you're not booked up as far. If I'm generating $600 per chair time hour versus $60, that's 10 times. That's a yeah. huge difference from all I'm doing is reshuffling my insurance participations, dropping out the lowest plans, and then recalibrating my marketing to attract more of those higher value, clear liners, implants, larger cases versus just doing one filling here or there type of cases. They might keep your schedule full, but if you're barely making anything, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I like this, man, because here you can see the cash, right? There's like one, two, three, four, five, five, right? And you're making much more than as if you were to kind of bundle all of the rest, or not all of it, but like a couple of it, right? When it comes to, so basically it's just more money, how we can make more money. Yeah. When this, uh, this is profit, not, not revenue, not collections numbers. And so that's why you see such a dramatic change for these different things. Like if you do three units at Crown and Bridge on a low PPO, if you look near the bottom of this, you're going to make $734. But if you do a half mouth of fillings, just fillings on a high PPO, you're making $750. So if I do, and by the way, half mouth of fillings, again, I go over this more in the book, that's six two surface fillings. So mm -hmm. if you did six MOs or something like that, three on the top, three on the bottom or something like that. 
And this, oh, by the way, all this data is normalized per chair time hour, because obviously it's going to take you a lot less time to do a single filling versus a three unit bridge. When I calculate this, it, it's adjusted for that. So this is all weighted per hour. And in the book, I go over how much time I allow for different procedures and stuff like that. Part of it is also like, well, if I do more procedures on each patient doing, let's say, quadrant or half mouth worth of work versus like a single tooth at a time, how that affects your revenue. But at a certain point, you can only work so fast or your schedule is just full. You know, if you're in the other room and you don't really impress that new patient and they don't accept treatment because they didn't fully understand things or you couldn't uncover their needs or they just didn't feel comfortable around you because they felt rushed because you're trying to just pound away so much production in your the doctor's column, you can't provide the care you want to and it ends up costing you more in the end because you are just trying to rush, 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 rush. And honestly, like if I can do less work and get paid the same. I mean, I want to do yeah. that. I can yeah. feel, I'm getting older. My back doesn't feel like it did when I first graduated. My neck bothers me sometimes. And so if I can lighten up my schedule and I give myself a 45 minute break, like I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah, I would totally do that. Awesome, man. So then when it comes to the questions we want to ask ourselves before dropping a plan, what does that look like? So number one, and we kind of touched on this at the beginning is like, how full is my schedule? Mm -hmm. I want to create or have created a capacity issue. And what that is for each office is going to differ a bit, depending on the size of the office, the procedure mix they're offering and how they're marketing and attracting patients. So I can't say like, oh, you want to make sure you're booked out six weeks for this. You can't really just give a number like that. But either way, I want to see a schedule that's fairly booked out because that means that they're running into a capacity issue. Because again, when I drop out of an insurance plan, I'm seeing as just firing a marketing company. And that insurance adjustment is your marketing expense. But it's no different than if I stop paying for Google ads because let's say it wasn't doing as well as Facebook ads. I just lowered that budget. To me, that's no different than dropping Cigna and investing that money into other things. And so that's not an emotional decision. It's just it's just I'm firing a marketing company who's whoever's performing the worst. You know, if I was getting paid really well by an insurance company, I probably wouldn't touch them. If their adjustments are just way too high, then I'm going to look to drop them. Next, I want to have a dollar for dollar comparison for how much each of these plans are paying me. So that 20 code production score. So you can have a really honest look between which of these plans is paying you the best and worst for each hour of time that you're spending on that. Then we want to look at our production numbers. So how much of these plans are affecting our current production. I don't do patient headcount because if you're doing a bunch of hygiene on patients with low production on one plan versus more heavy production crown and bridge on another, you're going to value these things very differently. I want to know how it's going to affect my production, not my patient headcount more than anything. And so that would tell me, you know, if I'm dropping a plan that represents 5% of my production versus 50%, I'm definitely going to approach that very differently because um, that's a bigger risk to the practice. I mean, I, I the first plan I dropped was Humana. Mm -hmm. had two families. And so like, obviously that didn't affect things too much. Yeah. Uh, and so, okay. you know, that was more of just like a practice round for me just to know what is it like to drop a plan? What do insurance companies do? What did they say to patients? So I could kind of have a safe, low risk scenario when I first dropped that plan, which was three years ago. Yeah. And then what additional marketing can I do to replace this lost production? So like I said, you're going to have attrition. Expect it. Don't take it personally. But, you know, how can I reinvest my time and my money to attract more of these patients? So even if I do have some attrition, my schedule basically looks the same. Another way to kind of affect that, too, is trying to increase case acceptance or have increased acceptable treatment plan values. And I use the word acceptable here. So that means to me, that's a plan that they are not necessarily in the schedule, but there is a high likelihood that the patient will schedule. And I use that because if a pay or if an office is booked out really far, and but the patient's not scheduled, but you're they're going to do it. 
I call them acceptable instead of accepted treatment plan values. So that's just a little thing I do. But if you have, if you're offering larger treatment plans, more comprehensive treatment, you're not referring out things as much, you're able to increase your max, your average treatment plan value per patient without needing additional patients. So let's say you're averaging 50 patients in a month and you're getting, on the, we'll just say $1,000 per patient on average. If we can up that up to $1,100 because now you're offering ortho or whitening, not every patient's going to do it, but let's say one in every 10 or 20 does ortho. Mm-hmm. Well, then your average treatment plan value per patient has gone up for those patients that have accepted those more high value procedures. So if you get better at case acceptance with those things, if you're looking to drop a plan, maybe you just need to get one more ortho a month and you can drop that insurance that you hate without affecting your production numbers. But yeah, so it all becomes just making sure you're hitting capacity, understanding what's risk to your practice, and then how to mitigate that risk, basically, is what all this is about. So when you are looking to drop out a plan, you have a, a good strategy, a safe, conservative strategy. I don't think I'm very risky at all. If anything, I'm probably too conservative with how I do this. I could probably push harder. But like I said, I have a, I'm my family. I got to make sure everyone's fed. I want to make sure my employees are taken care of. I don't want to run a situation where I'm laying people off. And so I'm pretty conservative, I think, when I drop a plan. But I am very methodical and very particular about if I feel it is in my best interest. I have no emotional barriers with dropping a plan if it is just what makes sense for the business. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Awesome, man. So then to wrap it up, if anybody here, I mean, obviously we would want to pick up the Dropping Dental PPO's playbook, Mm -hmm. but just like a couple of us, right? Like we all need a little bit of extra handholding. So like, do you do that? Yeah, so I I started doing that because I had a bunch of people requesting it after posting stuff. So actually in the back of the book, there's a QR code and some information about a website I have. It's called RaisingDentalIncome.com. And there's some information about some services I'm offering. There's a few different things, depending if you're like a solo doc versus a group practice. But I focus heavily on just doing analysis and giving you my honest, non-emotional opinion about what I think you should do. I mean, there's some offices I talk to and I say, no, you're not ready to drop the plan. I, I think it's too risky. But then mm-hmm. we come up with a game plan to say, hey, if we if we reach these certain milestones, then I think you'd be safe to drop out of one of these plans. Some people I talk to, and like I said, they're under every PPO under the sun. I'm like, you could drop like five of these now. You know, your schedule will look the same. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a big range of people I run into with that. But yeah, I just try and give you my honest opinion about stuff. I've seen some other docs, they charge insane amounts, I think, to fly to your office, like $100,000 or more, and kind of walk you through this process of verbal skills and everything like that. But I feel like there's a lot of docs who just don't need that. They, they have a good team, they have good clinical skills, and they just need some clarity. That's why I just offer this audit and I walk through on trying to understand what your goals are, what kind of schedule you want to have, what kind of work-life balance you're trying to achieve. And if dropping out of these PPOs is something that will help you achieve those goals, that's what I like to focus on. Nice. Awesome. So then if anybody had any questions or concerns or anything like that, where can they reach out to you? So again, if you go to that website, raisingdentalincome.com, there's a connect to Dr. Burkett page or I forgot how it worded, but either way, to find me, contact information page, there we go. And that's ben at raisingdentalincome.com. Also, if you find me on Facebook, my name is super long. And so if you see my name, it is Benjamin Hyredall Fowler Burkett. That's my real name. But yeah, if you want to reach out to me there or at Ben at RaisingDentalIncome.com, be more than happy to answer any of your questions. And then if it's a good fit, we can work together on something. Awesome. So I'm going to put the links to those contact informations in the show notes below. But at the same time, I'm going to put a link to the Dropping Dentals PPO's playbook as well. So you guys can check it out. And at the same time, Ben, 
Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. And we'll hear from you soon, bud. All right. Thanks. I'm glad to be on again. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I really appreciate you. And if you want, if you are thinking about dropping uh, some insurances, especially, you know, it's the new year, you're like, yep, I'm going to start doing it. Have to do it, right? Uh, I want to start doing this because for whatever reason, right, that we mentioned in this episode, then feel free to check out, go in the show notes below, um, buy the book, right? But at the same time, if you just want to reach out to Ben and talk to him a little bit more, you can totally do that. Go in the show notes below and reach out to him and and kind of discuss the process on how to start, where to start, right? Although we kind of dived pretty deep into the episode, in this episode on how to do that, I highly recommend you do that. I mean, you never lose anything by asking more questions. So reach out to Ben, ask more questions, get the book if you want to support him, and at the same time, learn exactly how to DIY it yourself. You can definitely do that as well. And at the same time, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast as well. Make sure you go in the show notes below and check out our sponsor for this episode and the exclusive deal that they have for you. It's amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.